take this moment just to welcome the presence of God into this space, into this designated time. Jesus, we invite you here by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would focus all our attentions on you this morning. That our knowledge and understanding of you would increase. And our response to that would be our worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see you, everyone. You can take your seats. Thank you, band. Um, I am going to bring them up a little bit later, if that's okay, and you'll see why. Um, we are in a series um, called Day and Night, and really what we're looking to try and do is to help you with your language of prayer. And uh, there's a lot of us in the room who speak a second language, um, and whether that's because you were born or brought up in another country, um, and uh, you've travelled from that home nation, and in travelling you've realised they speak a different language to you, uh, and so you've discovered that you need to learn a, a second language. You know, our drummer Levy is from Brazil. Um, he's a native Portuguese speaker, and in settling in and being on staff here at Riverside, he's obviously over the years had to learn English. You know, his main tutor of teaching him English was called Netflix. Uh, if you didn't know that, you know, and so he would watch movies. And, um, and whether it's Makatan or British Sign Language, you know, we have a special needs son, you know, who is a nonverbal communicator. And so me and Rachel are incredible uh, speakers of a behavioral communica communication. We know when Nathan is not right. We know when he is right. We know when he's happy. We know when he's sad. We know when he's annoyed. We know when he's frustrated. And largely because over the years of living with him, Nathan has taught us the language of micro expressions. Anybody know that? And uh, so we understand that there's these slightly flickers we just need to be really sensitive to. And this is all about our connection. So when we're talking about the language of prayer, we're really talking about is understanding the language of heaven. And so we know what God is saying. Because communication is a two-way thing. If you were at Messy Church yesterday, you would have learned it's not just a one-way where we talk to God. God wants to connect with us and we are developing this skill as a church in how we can help. Last week, we taught you the dialect within the language of prayer called Thanksgiving. And who's had a good week this week? Thanking God for all the good things. Anybody kind of went on and did that? So I walked in on Thursday. We have a connect group during the day. And uh, there was all sorts of laughing come out of the cafe where they, they meet in there. And it was so noisy and so joyous. And I wanted to go, what's going on in here? And they just said, oh, Aaron, it's just simply this. We are just like thanking God and enjoying God for all the great things that we've done. And what a great group. Who wants to be part of a group like that? Come on, you know, because I, I love people who put positivity into me, my, my life. You know, I'm not so sure about people who are mood vacuums. Have you ever bumped into mood vacuums, isn't it? You know, you get in there, you bounce into a room like Tigger, and then, you know, within a moment, they've sucked out of you, and you're like, I, what, what, you just stole my joy. I don't know how you did that. You'd be like, 
It's like anybody watched the Teletubbies, was it Nunu? You know, that's going back, uh, you know, to a different generation. Let's not be that. We're a worship-centered church. We're a presence-centered church. We want to be like David in, in the Old Testament when he reintroduced the concept of worship, where he brought the Ark and the Covenant back into the center of the people where they could worship God. And it was different from before. The musicians weren't there before. It was worship done in silence and he put thousands and thousands of worshippers there. There was no curtain around David's tabernacle. It was this night and day freedom access of worship by which they were free to come and go before God for 33 years. There's a biblical significance because we know somebody else in the Bible who lived on this earth for 33 years. You know, And there's something in there if you want to dig deeper into that. But there was an incredible worship thing of going, wow, we want to be a worship-centered church. We want to help you. We want to come into God's presence and go, we just night and day, we know what it is to live in the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, I want to read a, a psalm, which is a praise of God. And this is just going to uh, whet your appetite, if that's okay. And if you wanted to know, my name's Aaron. I never introduced myself, and I apologize if you knew. And I'm Aaron, and I lead the church with Rachel, with the senior pastors of that. And really, my role today is to be the warmer pact. Okay, so if you know performance, anybody ever been to a comedy gig, you know, and you'll get the lesser known comics come up. I'm a lesser known individual. <laughs> Uh, and if you're in, a, in, in, in you do a band or you're a musician, you'll know that the support acts, you know, who come in and then they basically warm the crowd up for what the main thing is. I, I'm a support act for the main thing, by the way, because the main thing is our worship of Jesus. You need to understand what this is really about. We're getting ready to direct our worship and praise to God. Psalm 29, David was a warmer pack too. Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honour the Lord for his glory and strength. Honour the Lord for the glory of his name. If you've got a pen and you like to write in your Bible, just worship, ring that word, worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. The voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty seas. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord splits the mighty cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon's mountains skip like a calf. He makes the Mount Hermon leap like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with bolts of lightning. The voice of the Lord makes the barren wilderness quake. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord has mighty oaks twists the mighty oaks, strips the forest bare. In his temple, everybody shouts, Glory. Come on, let's do this again. Everybody shouts, Glory. Glory. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. I talked about a culture of atmosphere of this new language. When, when, when I went into the Eden Project, which is a tourist site in Cornwall, the biggest biome or greenhouse or man-made rainforest you know, in the world, they've done that. You walk in, it's a different environment because they've created an atmosphere. And we're trying to kind of develop as a people this atmosphere of praise and worship that we walk in that is 
different to what that it is. And when I went in once, what they'd done, it was an evening during the winter months and they'd put this light show on of all these lasers going through. So you've got this greenery and these lights up lighting all of the trees and you've got the temperature and you've got the environment and then they've put an artist in there who's playing music and it's just this sensory experience which was just phenomenal. And I walked in there not just because of the, 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 the temperature atmosphere but the sound and the lights and everything and I just went, wow, wow. Let me, if I can help you with your experience with worship, it's the moment when you walk into the presence of God and words fail you, so you come up with this wholly inadequate expression of, wow. Because my experiences, my encounters with God have been far bigger than a laser light show, let me tell you this. And that was good. But God is incomparable when we have this encounter with God. And when we look in the Greek, you know, we realize in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it is to prostrate yourself. You know, there's that falling before God simply because when we encounter God, we just don't know what to do. And some people just flop, you know, so they just prostrate, fall in the, in the Greek. In the New Testament, it's to kneel or to take the hand in homage before God because you are so great. You are so awesome that actually in recognition of that, I just will have to minimize myself and my response here because you are so great and you are so grand. If you like to read the Bible and you like to study it at a deeper level, there's something called protology, which means the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, and when we read protology, because we, if it's mentioned the first time and God has mentioned it, what's the significance? Because I think God takes care detail. The first time it's mentioned of worship is Genesis chapter 22, verse 5. That's the first time worship occurs in, in, in the Bible, and it's the story of Abraham. And he says this in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further and we will worship there. If you know the story, Abraham's on journey because he's heard the voice of God that God has asked him to sacrifice his son. Don't worry, he doesn't sacrifice his son because God says actually it was a test of your obedience. And let me tell you about worship. Number one, it's a test of our obedience. And number two, it's our willingness to sacrifice. The first encounter mention of worship, and again, if you know your Bible, that refers to ultimately what Jesus did when God sent his only son to die for us. That Jesus was obedient. What an act of worship that Jesus did when he was obedient to go to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He obeyed what God wanted, and he sacrificed his life. I just wonder when you look at your worship, how much is it about obedience? And how much is it about sacrifice that you go, wow, and you kneel and you lie before God because saying, God, it is all about you. We know if you follow Abraham's life that he goes around and everywhere he has these encounters with God, he builds an altar or he worships under a tree or he digs a well. There's something about God that when we, when, we, when we have an encounter with God in a real genuine encounter that we want to do something for God. And our desire to mark a space or a place to point to people saying, I met God there. My life experience is I've met God in a church building. 
My life experiences, I've met God in the fields, in the countryside, by the beach. My life experiences, I've met God in my home, in my bedroom, in the quiet place. His thing, because where can I go from the Spirit of God? He is everywhere. We're not limited by a building this morning. We're limited by the Spirit of God, which is unlimited, that we can encounter God wherever we go. There's a place for us to worship. And Deuteronomy says this in chapter 16, verse 11. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God the designated places of worship he will choose for his name to be honored. This is a time to celebrate before the Lord your God at the designated place of worship and he will choose for his name to be honored. Do you have a designated place to worship? Do you have a designated time where you just say, I am going to worship you? Or do you do a drive-by worship? Thanksgiving's great, isn't it? You know, God, you are so good. You know, and when you realize Thanksgiving, what it does, it gets to the identity of God. You are good for me. And wow, God, that's worship. And then we go, great, done that. Now, God, would you do some good things for me? And it's like this McDonald's drive through that we just want this quick snack with God on a Sunday morning. You know, we want to just come in and go, oh God, you are so great. Yep, worshiping you. Worship's over. And now I want you to do good things for my life. We miss the main course. Thanksgiving leads us into the presence of God. And there God wants us to just remain for that little bit longer so that we might encounter him. And then encounter him, we're going to move from our thanksgiving to our worship to our intercession when we have a confidence in who God is to live out our life. The chief purpose, the core purpose of man is to praise and to worship and to serve the living God. We don't know that until we meet God, until we encounter him in our life. I don't know whether you've ever had great moments of worship in your life. Just, just think for a moment. You might be first time in church, by the way. And this might be you just coming in and going, Aaron, I am just trying to make sense of this. I'm on my journey. Let me, let me tell you, God's going to blow you away. He's just bringing you to a place to give you the confidence that you might go, I'm going to allow you to do that. You, you might have had these incredible moments in worship. You can see in the Bible in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1 to 6, it's when David, you know, lets Solomon finish the temple of God and they dedicate it and it's all the worshippers there and the presence of God comes down so powerfully that nobody can do anything. They're frozen in time because the presence of God is so real. Some of you are thinking, wouldn't it be great if the support act just got down and God's presence was so real, we're just like, wow. I've had those moments in life. There's incredible moments in the Bible when you see Paul and Silas in the jail cell. Followers of Jesus Christ, under persecution, locked away for their faith, you know. Life is hopeless, they're shackled to the wall right there. Let me tell you, you can't harness the praise and worship of God. The devil tries all the time to get you down. But even though they're strapped up to the back of the wall like this, they're like going, hey, do you want a worship time? Getting you into church sometimes, getting you into a prayer meeting, getting to a worship, you know, because, oh, there's some, Aaron, you don't know, but I need to kind of watch something on Netflix or something that's going on. You know, they're strapped to the wall. What should we do, guys? Let us praise God. And it breaks the heavenless. And, and actually the beat of their praise and worship got, gets God's attention that he bursts them out of the jail by the power of God. Something about this true worship that looks beyond our earthly circumstance and looks into a heavenly realm. 
There's a great moment when you have the woman who walks in with the alabaster oil, you know, and you can find the story if you want to make it a note of that in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, where she breaks open this bottle of perfume, even though she's a lady who's been in a sinful place, you know, and she's thinking, breaks up, the smell fills the room. And it attracts the attention of Jesus because Jesus loves authentic, honest worship. You clean up too good, guys. You come into church sometimes and you'll put this perfect line on your face because you think holiness is just when you look clean and dress like that. Let me tell you, holiness is an honest heart before God when you go, God, here I am. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we kneel down, prostrate before God, not in our own righteousness, just because we can clean up and look that everything's fine. And people go, how are you? I'm fine. And God knows you're not behind it. God just loves your honesty. The most powerful prayers are the honest prayers that you can ever pray. God, I just don't feel like I deserve this this morning. And God says, come on. And he points you to Jesus, who died on the cross for you and through his blood, it's him that makes you worthy, not you. You get the widow's might in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. She's a lady who hasn't got much. She takes her last bit of money in her pocket, a tiny bit, and Jesus is watching that day. She puts it in and Jesus knows something that nobody else does. That's her all. Can I ask a question? When you worship God, do you bring it all? It was costly for her, wasn't it? It cost her everything. And yet, the cost of her giving to Jesus meant something so beautiful that it prompted Jesus' response. You see Isaac willing to sacrifice his son. You see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as an act of worship, praying that incredible prayer, not why my will be done, but yours. When you worship, do you leave your agenda at the door? Or is your more agenda more important than God? Because I don't know if you know that, but if it is, you've switched the deity around. Your, the, your divine is you. You think it's about you, your emotion, your feeling, what you're doing there. You're hung around thinking that, that and, you, and you're mimicking something of God. You're trying to pretend that you've got this Christian thing cracked when actually you're missing the one thing, the most important thing, and that is you coming into the presence of God. And great moments of worship are less about you and more about Him. And if I can, I want us to reverse engineer our worship, if it's right, just to help us become knowing what it's all about. So there's what do I do in worship? I sing, I might pray, I might lift my hands, I might dance, I might kneel, they're the outer. That's, that's what I do. That's what we call worship. It's actually not worship. It's just an exterior. It's just an expression of God. But what happens before? Why do I clap? Why do I lift my hands? Why do I sing? That's the next one when we reverse it back, not to the what we're doing, but to the why. Because really, why? Because suddenly I'm starting to experience the love of God. I'm expressing my thanksgiving. I'm giving my praise. That's why I moved into action. That's why I come to church. That's why I sing. That's why I dance because suddenly I'm expressing what's going on here, but reverse it again one more stage. And you'll get to what worship actually is. It's when we see God as the focus of our worship. 
Who's ever been to an art gallery? I, I quite like art galleries. You might find that unusual that I do, but you know, I really do. You'll see when you go into an art gallery that you'll see this picture up and that you will see people absolutely mesmerized by that piece of art. It could be a sculpture. And people are in, they're paid that and they're just staring. And if it's a sculpture, they're walking around and they're looking at the beauty of the art. How many of them are looking at the talent of the artist? There's some pieces of art that I've looked at that really disturbs me. If I'm honest, I go to some galleries. You know, I've got part of a, a gift of discernment that God is able to kind of speak to me about sometimes a person's journey and spiritual journey. And I'm looking at a piece of art and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm really worried about the rage in that person's heart because that really comes through. That's quite violent. You know, and, you, and you can see all sorts of humanity expressed in art. But there's sometimes I can see it's an act of worship for some artists by the which they're attempting to kind of picture and do this do you know what worship is is when we put Jesus center stage and we bring the centrality of Christ and we wander around and it is all about Christ it is not about you we have made our emotions a God in this generation because I feel it it is true it is not and sometimes our emotions are real and we need to connect with them and realize that they're an important part of our life but they are not the determiner of our faith it is God and our trust in him Job says this incredible phrase when it causes though he slay me yet will I praise him Who's ever not felt like worship? Come on, I, I, my hand's right up. I'm here just to kind of encourage you. If I feel it, you, I'm sure you feel it too. You get up in the morning, you're just like, I just don't want to worship you, God, right? That's an honest response. And here's the thing, God doesn't go, I know that, Aaron, and you're a terrible person. That's a normal flesh response. Because... Here's a secret, by the way. Our flesh likes to just walk away from God. It likes to have a little bit of rest and fight with God. But my worship, my cost is when I take my flesh and I submit it before Christ. And I'm coming and going, right, you are the main thing. Deuteronomy 5 verse 7, you must have no other gods before me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth and the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. There's one God. What's your focus when you come to worship God? What is your focus? We need to be dedicated to focusing on God. We need to be devoted to God. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12 says, What does the Lord our God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, live in a way that pleases Him, and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. His question, how much are you holding back? True worship gives Him everything. It gives him your failures. It gives him your insecurities. It gives him your doubts. It gives him your hurts. It gives him your pains. It 
gives him the good bits. It presents to God everything. And we're encouraged to build a daily rhythm of worship where we focus on Jesus Christ. 1 Kings 8 verse 56 says, Praise the Lord who has given rest to his people of Israel. Just as he promised, not one word has failed to all of the wonderful promises he gave for his servant Moses. Psalm 63, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. How many of us are focused on God? We're dedicated to him. And we have this daily rhythm in every day of our life saying, God, this is a designated time and space where I'm going to worship you. Why don't you start to carve that out in your life? I'm going to ask the band to come up if I can. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm I'm just going to lead you into worship. Is that okay? The Bible is really good at leading you to who God is. Thanksgiving is about us agreeing what God has done. Worship with us is agreeing with who God is. And I've realized we accelerate this bit. We're so fast that I want us this week to perhaps have a pause on thinking about who God is. This is a good scripture to pause throughout the week. And, and I'm just going to give some samples to help you. I'm just going to show you a picture of my Bible and how I like to kind of write things in my Bible, if that's all right. I, I like taking a red pen and circling key mitts and then writing in the, the minimal margins that I've got. And because I just want to pick out a few things when we read God's word, his word tells me who he is. And then I want us to pause and not run on because of who he is, that's what I want. I just want us just to sit and reflect on the character of God. And then when we just get to it, I'm just going to invite you to worship on a few of those things that we're just going to lift his name. Is that okay? Just really simple. May your glorious name be praised. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the skies, the heavens, and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. You are the Lord, Yahweh. You are our creator. You created me. You formed me in the secret place. You made this whole earth for me to live in. God, this is who you are. Verse 8, when he had proved himself faithful, he made a covenant. You are God who is connected with your people. You are connected to God. I can connect with you relationally. Verse 8, you have done what you promised. Your word is true. Verse 10, you displayed miraculous miraculous signs and wonders. You are a miracle-working God. Verse 11, you divided the sea. You hurled our enemies into the depth of the sea. You're my deliverer. 
Verse 12, you led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. You are my guide. You came down from Mount Sinai. You spoke to them. You're my director. You're my provider. And you'll go on. You are full of forgiveness. You're full of grace and mercy. This is what they're talking about, who God is. And this is written at a time of spiritual reformation when Nehemiah and Ezra having rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem are bringing people back to the place of worship and they're restoring worship back to the people. And while this is going on, the people stood to hear the word of God. Let's stand, shall we? And let's worship. So right now where you are, I'm not going to fill your thoughts. I want you to just start to think of an attribute of God. Think of how good God is, how great He is, how big He is. If you're struggling, just the Holy Spirit, I'm struggling just to get a glimpse right now. Just give me a little bit of a taste of and God. The Holy Spirit is just going to reveal a little bit of God to you. Just take it like a little bit more sort of bread and just start to think about it in your mind. What does that mean? Hold back your thoughts on what it means for you. Stick with the character of God. God had a big house, a huge TV and tennis courts and a hot tub and a great American fridge with loads of food and all we were bothered about when we went to the house is running around and playing with all the cool kids and we miss that moment to sit with the owner of the house the one who's provided all of those good things to have a cup of tea or a meal or to play tennis with we're here to play tennis with God it's not just about enjoying his good things it's about enjoying him as a good good father